Good afternoon. If you'd like to, brother, go ahead and open your Bibles to uh, Psalm 127. Psalm 127. We'll be there shortly. Thank you so much for letting me be here. It's always a pleasure to visit other, other congregations, especially in this context where we're doing a gospel meeting. Because I love just taking a moment and focusing on the Word of God. And specifically, we have this wonderful title that's given to us. We're going to build children into the image of Christ. Now, if you are a parent or a mentor, a teacher, in some way, shape, or form, you have had to try to do this with a child where you're trying to teach them, where you want to bring something into them, you want them to grasp this, then you can understand that this is not always the easiest thing in the world to do. The world presents these wonderful role models to them, people that are focused only on success in this life. You have temptations and desires that are constantly surrounding them that try to get people to focus on the here and now rather than think about a spiritual hope or a spiritual future. And in addition to that, there's so many false versions of Christianity that are out there where when it comes down to it, people are led astray from what is actually the truth. And because of that, they've moved away from the foundation. They've moved away from the basic building material that we're supposed to have, like our brother Josh brought up this morning. And what we realize is that children, young people, they need guidance. And we do have to provide it. Now, I'm blessed. I'm a father of four. My wife and I, thankfully I don't do it alone. We have a 15, I wrote it down, 12, 10, and 8-year-old daughters. I wasn't going to forget, I promise. All right. Two of them have decided to follow Christ. The other two, they're starting to ask questions, and so we'll keep working with them as time goes along. But one of the things I wanted us to think about is a proverb that actually comes up, and it's not Bible proverb, but have you ever heard that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child? There's a lot of truth to that. And certainly, parents have a primary responsibility, but parents and fellow Christians are both going to be involved in this. We think about the parents. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, of course, fathers have a specific role they're supposed to play. But understand that discipline and instruction, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But the idea of discipline is not just corporal punishment. But a discipline is a method or a way of living. And so... The fathers are supposed to bring them up in that discipline and that instruction that does not remove mothers. I love this proverb, Proverb 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instructions and forsake not your mother's teaching. Moms have a huge role, too. And young people, you're supposed to listen to your mom as much as you are to your dad. Of course, again, I have four daughters. And so there's this wonderful Bible proverb that's in there. Behold, everyone who quotes Proverbs will quote the proverb concerning you. Like mother, like daughter. My girls are going to be just like their mom, which is a good thing. So, but that's parents. Now, as far as everybody else, these are some of the verses our brother Josh actually brought up earlier. Think about these things. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 verse 5. In Ephesians 2, verse 19, you are no longer stranger and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So if we're of God's household, if we're all being built up 
into this spiritual house, how are we supposed to act towards one another? What are we supposed to do? Well, Galatians 6.10 says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We have to pay attention to those members of our household. And if you've never thought about this as far as how children are concerned, you know, uh, one time I was in a study where a person said that today we put more emphasis on children than they did in Bible time. And that kind of stuck with me for a while. But then I really thought about this verse here in Matthew 18. This is Jesus speaking. He says, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone calls on these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's not a parable. Children are important. And there's an emphasis for all of us. To take steps to make sure they're growing in that discipline and instruction, that nurture and admonition. And so the big question then is, how do we build children up into the image of Christ? I've got two points for today. Number one, we're going to talk about foundation and building. And again, a lot of these verses, um, Brother Zoller brought up already and Brother Josh has already brought out. And so hopefully I can compliment what they've already said. And then also the idea of love. There are a bunch of other subjects that are out there, but those are the only two points we're going to focus on this afternoon. Now, again, Psalm 127. If you read that with me, Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So that whole psalm is predicated on that very first verse. Unless the Lord builds the house. Those who build it labor in vain. So whether we're talking about the spiritual house, our physical homes, our relationships that we have with one another, or more specifically, as we look at verses three through five there, the children are heritage from the Lord. This all comes based off of the Lord building this house. And it's funny because just the other day I saw this on the plaque. Verse three, behold, children are heritage from the Lord. The fruit of a womb is a reward. That's a great and wonderful thought. And it's true. But you have to have the correct foundation. You have to be building correctly. And that means we're letting the Lord build it. We've been given the plans. We've been given the method. We've been given the way. We have to act upon it. Now understand, when we go through the Bible, we can see, and if this is going to go to Acts chapter 3 if you want to turn over there with me. But Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. We have an example that is given to us of... Having the correct foundation being provided, but the builders were not willing to use it. And it's really important to us because when you look at Acts chapter 3, that's where Peter and John, they heal a lame man at the gate of the temple. 
and this man has been lame for since birth. And so everybody gathers around. They're amazed at the miracle. And so people are coming. And Peter takes that opportunity to start speaking about Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Well, in Acts chapter 4, the temple guards show up with the Sadducees or some other people, and they arrest Peter and John. They put him in prison. The next day, they take him to what amounts to the um, Jewish council. And when they go before the Jewish council, they question Peter and they ask Peter, by what power have you done this? And Peter answers, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's Peter's response to, by what power have you done this? Peter is recognizing the role of these Jewish leaders. I mean, and when you think about that, stop for a second and really think about it. They were the ones who knew the law of Moses. They knew it forward and backwards. They were leading people. They were guiding people. They're supposed to be telling people what it takes to be saved in God. They're supposed to be building on the foundation that God has provided to them. The law and the prophets. And here's the fulfillment of it. And they totally disregarded it. They stumbled over it. Again, that was prophesied. But they did not recognize the chief cornerstone. The foundation that had been given to them. And again, we've referenced these verses earlier. But if you get a chance, look at 1 Peter 2. Because it tells us that we are living stones being built upon the living stone. And when you come to Psalm 118, Psalm 118 has that grace verse in it. In verse 24, it says, This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That verse is based off of verse 22. That the chief cornerstone has become our salvation. That's why we have this day. That's why we can rejoice. That's why we can be glad in it. Because we have received that chief cornerstone. We have that foundation. And when we have the opportunity to speak about God, we have the opportunity to speak about Christ. We should take it and we should do it correctly. Not as the builders did before us. Now, that takes us into Psalm 78 verses 2 through 4. And I want us to think about when we talk to people about Jesus, how do we describe it? I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. And if you go through that psalm, it'll talk about how you're supposed to talk it to your children, to your grandchildren. You're supposed to continue this onward, continually talking about the praises of the Lord, his strength, his wondrous works. How do we talk about Jesus? When we deal with our children or young people, or people we encounter, people who we have the ability to influence, how do we talk about Jesus? I guess you could ask yourself, do you even talk about Jesus? But let's say the subject comes up. Is it something of importance? Can they tell it's something you're really into and excited about? We just had the draft this past weekend. There were a lot of people who were very excited about what player is going to go to what football team. And they spent a lot of time sitting in front of the television, focusing in on that. 
But how do we talk about Jesus? And again, one of the things I've unfortunately seen is that there's a lot of people who really want to show an attitude of nonchalance. They don't want to put any emphasis or talk about how great Jesus is. They, they're afraid of, in many ways to just bring it out. And our children see that. One of the scariest things about when you go through the Old Testament and you see it in the cycle of Judges, you have this great and strong and faithful generation and the next generation falls away. And then you have a great and stronger faithful generation. It's a smaller group of faithful and the next generation falls away. I don't want my children to be the generation that falls away. They have to know why I think Jesus is great and strong and wonderful and his abilities and his wondrous works that he has done. That is something we have to let them know about. And if we don't, we're really missing the boat. We have Christ as our foundation. He's the basis for why we're even here. It allows us to live, to move, and exist, like it talks about in Acts chapter 17. But remember, Philippians 2.13 is a great verse to consider. If you ever thought about it, right in front of that, it talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in us and through us for his good pleasure. Our God works in us, on us, and through us. And we should show that to people. And really what we're trying to establish when we're doing that is we're letting people know that we're in this wonderful word called a relationship with Jesus. And that means that we have love and that we have received love. Thank you so much for the songs that we sang here before we started this. But when we think about love, mostly I'm going to focus on John 14 and 15. And at least the first two verses there come from that. But... Jesus had just washed the disciples' feet in John 14. He's eaten and he's established the Lord's Supper. And really what we have here is we have these last instructions that he can give them. The last items that he's trying to get them to understand before he goes to be crucified. And these are things he wants them to think about and dwell upon. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15, 12 through 14, this is my commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that one day it lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, Paul brings out something similar in Romans 5. And he says in Romans 5, 7 through 8, It is rare indeed for anyone to die for a righteous man, though for a good one someone might possibly dare to die. But God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then, of course, 1 John 3, 16, by this we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So those verses there, in many ways, give us four or five steps that we can go through, and we can answer that wonderful question, how do we teach and how do we build people into the image of Christ? How do we teach and how do we build love? Well, first and foremost, we've got to recognize it. We have to recognize this is what we're built upon. This is what has been given to us. And this is what we're supposed to show. Very familiar verse, John three sixteen. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, and again, I'm not attempting to like wax poetic about relationships and love and all that great stuff. I'm not exactly the most fluffy person in the world. But I will tell you, if you've ever had the opportunity to go to the 50th wedding anniversary where you're with a group of people that have worked for and fought for a relationship for over 50 years, it's pretty wonderful. And it should fill you with joy to see that. And the other aspect of that is, at the very least, that should be our relationship with God. That kind of dedication, that willingness to work, that loyalty that we're supposed to show towards him. We have to recognize that love has been offered to us and that we are supposed to offer it as well. Secondly, this should be a little bit more familiar, the idea of just keeping the commandments. And that takes us back. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Philippians chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 5, where Jesus, because he was obedient, was willing to offer himself, was willing to be um, for a little while, lower than angels. That's from Hebrews, actually. But the point is, is that we have to be willing to be obedient to the word of God. We have to be willing to follow it, which means we have to know what the word of God is. We have to know what it says. But we have to take the time to make sure our actions, our life, what we are doing, it actually matches what God has said. Because if we're not doing that, we're not really in a relationship with him. We're doing our own thing and just using a title. Relationships are not two separate entities, people doing whatever they want and just con- and occasionally getting together. That's not really the relationship we're supposed to have with God and Christ. Thirdly, we have to be faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. One of the things we've spent a lot of time this past year is we went through... Ezekiel, we went through Jeremiah, parts of Daniel, we went through these Isaiah. And what are the children of Israel criticized for over and over again? Idolatry. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. And what is that compared to over and over again? Adultery. Where the children of Israel are in a relationship with God and they turn their back on God to chase after the foreign idols, to chase after the foreign gods. They committed adultery. And we have to realize the idols are different today. Most of us aren't really tempted by pagan practices. But on the same token, we can be laid astray. We can start following a path that leads us away from God and from Christ and from the relationship we're supposed to have. We can be faithless. But God is faithful towards us. And that's what we're supposed to have towards him. Now this next part. This idea of demonstrating love. Again, Romans 5 or 7 and 8 where Christ demonstrates his love for us by giving himself. 1 John 3.16 says almost the same thing. We're going to talk about that last word in a second. But when we think about demonstrating love, one of the things I've discovered over the years is that little things add up. Does anybody know who Dr. Gary Smalley is? Anybody ever heard of him? Tell people. I know Angie has heard of him because I talk about him. <laughs> and she's read the books. He wrote this book that I had to study out of called If Only He Knew. And it basically tells men exactly what they're doing wrong in their relationships. It actually is a really good book, believe it or not, guys. But 
It tells them what they're doing wrong in relationships. There's one section in there called tremendous trifles. And long and short of it, these little things that are around us, they can work both ways. Little things add up. Little things can become a weight, become a burden. The more and more they get on you, the more and more stress you have. They pile you down. They weigh you down. They're an encumbrance that easily entangles you if you want to Hebrews 12. And they make you fall. They make you stumble. They make you trip. That can be in your relationship. If you don't deal with them, if you don't work with them, if you don't recognize them like a brother Josh said, if you don't actually openly define them, they will cause you to fall. On the same token, little things do add up. And doing the little things each and every day can make you a better Christian, can be the type of example we can be towards our children. Like For example, when you get up in the morning, do you have your Bible app on your phone? Do you show it to the kids? Do you study your daily Bible verse? Do you pray before every meal? Do you take the time to thank God? Do you make people sit down together once a day and just pray for something? Do you do the little things? When you're thankful about something, do they see you pray to God and say, thank you, God? Demonstrate that love. That's what we're called to do. And finally, the biggest one here, sacrifice. And that's with Romans 5 and 1 John 3 as well. It's very easy in a relationship to be focused only on ourselves. But that's not the example we have from Christ. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what we've been given. And why did he go to the cross? For you and for me. That's why Jesus was there. And when we think about that, how do we do that in our relationships that we have right now? How do we show that kind of dedication and that kind of sacrifice? How do we show it to God? How do we show that to our children? Because that's what we're called to do. So if we're going to make applications of these, I really like the idea of emphasizing having the correct example and teaching. See, when we emphasize the image of Christ, because that's what we're trying to do, remember, build children into the image of Christ. If we're going to emphasize the image of Christ, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Romans 8 verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Transformed and conformed. We're going to change that great metamorphosis that I talked about in Romans 12. We're going to be changed. We're going to be crafted. We're going to become something completely different when we become a Christian. And we've been given the pattern that we are supposed to follow. That's found in the word of God. And again, are we actually doing that? So again, this is the application section. And one of the things I've worked real hard to do over the past couple years is be real literal with my applications. So this week, use the word of God. Write out the characteristics that you see about Christ. You can put book, chapter, verse with it. That's even better. But write out the characteristics that you see with Christ. 
Do it as a family opportunity. Everybody get together. Everybody pick one or two characteristics, write them down. How are we going to be transformed into that? How are we going to be conformed into that? Take the time to set up a plan to get there. Because you might find there's things that you're going to have to do different. Spend more time in the Word of God. Clean your room every day. Okay, I threw that in there. But you get the idea. You know, there's things that we're going to do that will help us get where we're going. But really, take the time to know who Jesus is. If we don't know it, if just a, it's just this character that's in a book, some amazing deity that lives out there and that we're never around us, we're never going to truly understand that he is around us and in him we live, move, and exist. Next, we have to demonstrate the example of Christ. And again, a lot of these points are already made as far as in that last point. But Christ did not become the chief cornerstone by being a self-serving individual. He is our foundation because he was willing to die for us. He was willing to live for us. He was willing to continue to teach for us. And he's living and active in our world, in our lives today. So one thing I would suggest you do, and these are great. If you don't, most of us have some type of cell phone in our household. But find a Bible app that you like. And it doesn't take long. It can take one minute to three minutes. I mean, if you have a longer study, you're reading through the Bible, you're going to do 15 to 20 minutes. And that's great too. But if you're not doing anything, just start with one minute. Have the Bible app set up so it pops up a verse at 7 o'clock in the morning. Or 6.30 as the case may be. And this is something my wife does. Read it every day and make sure the kids read it. Make sure whoever you're exposed to, make sure whoever you're encountering, make sure they read it. If you have that type of influence with them, show them, I heard this great verse today. Have you seen it? And it's amazing and wonderful just how much that will influence you. And it's great to have the word of God always in our hearts and in our minds. So finally thing, the, the idea of teaching Christ. See, a lot of things that we talk about, we can have a passive, everyday approach to life. We are lights of the world. People should recognize we're different by our dress, our attitude, our actions, our language. Um, for those of you that don't know, I'm also, my job technically, I'm a firefighter. But I'm not preaching. And so, Monday through Friday, from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., that's what I do. And on occasion, I... Um, ride the medic on the weekends. But one of the things that sets me apart from a lot of people I work with is the fact that I do not cuss. I do not take the Lord's name in vain. And one of the amazing things that you encounter is that people around me have gotten to the point where, hey, watch your language. Jason doesn't talk like that. And I haven't really said anything to them. But they have enough respect for me and the work I do that they watch their language around me. Because I'm a Christian. And that's a passive approach. So, and I'm not denying that at all. That's very important. But I do think we also need to take the opportunities when they present themselves. I know you've heard this before. To teach Christ. When an opportunity comes up, do not hesitate. To take the opportunity to talk about Christ. And I love 1 Corinthians 3. We've read this already today. But 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given to me. 
like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. And the builders in the past, they failed. We are the builders now. And we have the opportunity to add on the foundation according to God. Now again, with my kids, I know the first thing they're thinking about is the Lego movie. So we're not talking about Lego master builders. We're talking about being the master builders or partaking of the master builders, the apostles, the prophets, the people who have given us the word of God. That's what we can build upon. And Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. We are not doing this alone. When we instruct, when we teach, we have to realize God is with us. And we can allow God to work through us. His instruction is what we're going to bring forth. His teaching is what we're trying to bring forth. Not the words of men. And God will be with us as we work on that. Our invitation, song, is only a step. And brethren, again, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in front of you. If you have any questions about that, I'm more than happy to let you have my notes. I will tell you, um, my notes, I give them to a couple of specific people who read them. So I don't have them in outline format. I don't exactly follow them word for word, but they're written out like, a, like if somebody was speaking to you. So just kind of keep that in mind if, if you read them. But they are available if you'd like them. I always offer an invitation in three ways. First, if anyone needs encouragement, it has nothing to do with sin. But because of stresses, because of trials in your life, you need prayers from your brothers and sisters in Christ. In a few moments when we stand and sing, please come forward and we can pray for you. It's very hard to help someone if you don't know what's going on in their lives. Remember, part of demonstrating love is not only being willing to give love, but also to receive it. And so if you have something going on in your life where you do need prayers, you do need help, the brethren here, we would be happy to pray for you. Secondly, if you have sin in your life, if you have stumbled, if you have fallen from the path, if you're not walking like you're supposed to, in a moment we stand and sing, come forward, we can pray for you, you can be restored. That wonderful verse, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, that's in the exact context of people who are suffering from sin. It's the worst disease ever. It promise you it will kill you. Don't suffer from it any longer. Come forward, we can pray for you, you can be restored. And if you're not a Christian, this is the path you've been offered to walk. You can follow in the image that has been given to us of Jesus Christ. You can be conformed to that image. You can be transformed in him. You can partake of his death, his burial, his resurrection. You can be baptized into Jesus if you're willing to do that. And you can arise to walk in the newness of life. If you know what that means and you'd like to do that, you have that opportunity now. Please come forward as we stand and as we sing.